Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for your words. Morning, everyone. It's really good to be here. Um, it is um, It is slightly strange. I think I was just thinking this week, I think it's four and a half years since I was here on a Sunday morning. So for those of you who know me, it's nice to see you again. For those of you who don't, my name's Alan. <laughs> and um, uh, I've sort of been part of the church here for a long time. Um, love this place, love this house. Love how we're building the kingdom together across Craigavon. Um, love how this house has blessed uh, the Portadown Church, and it's incredible just to see how God's taken us on over there, and uh, it's wonderful to do this together. I'm going to crack on into where we're going this morning, if that's all right. Um, we're looking at the theme together in Portadown as well, um, Phil's there this morning. Um, uh, we're looking at this theme of the Holy Spirit, welcome Holy Spirit, and um, uh, I forgot what we do for, for I'm, I'm forgetting the wee things, the way things work around here already. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, by way of quick recap, um, the, the Holy Spirit, hopefully we know by, by now in some of our teaching, just to summarize, is, is a person, is not, Holy Spirit's not an it, Holy Spirit is a personality of the Godhead. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the, are, are the Trinity, so it's important that we talk about Holy Spirit, not as a it, or not as a fluid or a liquid but as a person that we fellowship with. Paul talked often in the early church, and he prayed for the early church that they would know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Such a beautiful phrase. Sometimes that word fellowship becomes a bit of a churchy word and like a Christianese sort of thing. But when you, when you think about what it really means to walk with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he's a person. He is the presence of God. He brings us the manifestation of God's own breath. The word for spirit in the Bible, both Hebrew and Greek, is the same word as the word for wind and breath, okay? So you can't, you can't get any closer to somebody when you're, when you're sensing and knowing their breath. And the Spirit is God's breath. Um, and so the Spirit is presence and the Spirit is power, the power of the risen Lord that lives in us to change lives. And so we've been taking some time to understand and elevate the person of the Holy Spirit. But we've also been looking at what life in the Spirit is, how we die to self, how we allow the Spirit to be formed in us and the fruit and character of the Spirit of Jesus to be formed in us. And so today we want to go a little bit further and we want to look at this area called the infilling of the Holy Spirit. If the New Testament, which it does, talks a lot about life in the Spirit or walking in the Spirit or being in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, what does it really mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be empowered by the life of the Spirit? What does it mean to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit when you get saved, or do you need to be prayed for again? These are all questions that we quickly want to try and look at generally this morning, because these are questions that have gone on throughout the church's history for many, many years. So let me start with a couple of key texts, just to build a bit of a paradigm from which we want to go from this morning. Luke chapter 24, just before Jesus was ascended to heaven, this is what he said to the, to the disciples. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. It's not just brilliant, actually, because he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's amazing to have a, a promise from a good Father. The promise of the Father. 
It's like Jesus is getting excited because Father God, Papa God, has got a really great promise for his kids. And he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed. Some translations say, endued with power from on high. And then Acts chapter 1, which kind of overlaps the end of Luke chapter 24, the end of Luke and the start of Acts are kind of like an overlap. It's what they did in, when they wrote the Bible. It was like scroll technology of the day in order like to build. Luke and Acts was both written by Luke. And so the end of Luke kind of overlaps with the start of Acts because there's a kind of flow. It's like a two-part series. And so the start of Acts says this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These are the words of Jesus. That Jesus wanted the disciples to wait for a special event. Don't do anything. Because something's going to happen that the Father has promised. And it's going to involve the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples this time decided to do what they were told. And they waited for 10 days. They tarried or they lingered in Jerusalem and um, because they knew that something was going to happen that was crucial for the fulfillment of the mission that Jesus had left them on the earth. And so we read of what happens. In two weeks' time, we're going to celebrate this particular day, the day of Pentecost. But let's just read what happened and honor the Scriptures and uh, pray that familiarity will not breed contempt for all the times we've read this before. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Shireen, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arab, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? It's an absolute game-changing moment, not just in the Bible, but in history. This, this moment that we just read about, it, it changes the world. We throw that phrase out a lot, but this actually did. This changes the world and changed the world forever. If we were to read on, we'd read of Peter getting up in the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching a sermon, declaring the lordship of Jesus and what Jesus had done. And we'd read of 3,000 people giving their lives to Jesus and being baptized that day and the church being formed. Something happened on Pentecost that would change the world forever. The first clue to understanding how significant this day was and how significant this event was when, when it actually happened. The timing is really significant. 
This happened, if you'll see, on the first verse there, uh, the, uh, sorry, at the first line of what we read, when the day of Pentecost came. So it was called Pentecost before we understand it as Pentecost, right? Because there was a particular festival that happened that the people knew as Pentecost before the Spirit fell like he did. And you see, what's important for us to remember is, just side note, the Bible is a multi-layered, multi-genre book. It's been written over centuries that's all unified and fulfilled in Jesus. And, and so what's happening in here is things are being fulfilled in this moment that have been prophesied and talked about for years. That's what the whole Bible has been pointing towards. And 50 days before this event, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. Um, and that fulfilled the Passover feast. So there was three main feasts in Israel's history. One was the Passover, one was the Feast of Tabernacles, and one was the Feast of Pentecost, or what was called the Feast of Weeks. And um, the, fe- the fe- feast of the Passover was fulfilled in Jesus' death. He was the Passover. He was the lamb that was slain as a reminder of the little lamb that the uh, Israelites um, slayed and painted the blood on the doorposts in Egypt. And now 50, years la- 50 days later, sorry, Pentecost, the festival of Pentecost is going to be fulfilled as well. Now, 50 days after the Israelites would have celebrated Passover, they celebrated Pentecost because it was known as the Feast of Weeks because God had instructed the Israelites to celebrate the beginning of the harvest, right? So it's not unusual because in lots of our churches, we have a harvest service. For the children of Israel, they had what was called the Feast of Weeks, and it happened seven weeks after Passover. So seven times seven is 49, right? Isn't it? Yeah, and the day the day after the day after forty forty nine is fifty, right? And Mars um, is like brilliant, doesn't it? It's improved since I've left. And um, uh, for, for, for fifth, uh, in Greek, this word Pentecostus is the word fifty, and so fifty days after uh, Passover, the Jews would have celebrated Pentecost, and this was a celebration of the first fruits of the harvest of God's provision for the people, but it was also really strongly associated with the people's uh, recollection of the time when the Israelites would have received the law from God on Mount Sinai. When God came down like a consuming fire on the mountain, Moses went up and they received the law. And this vivid symbolism helps us, the background helps us understand the vivid symbolism of what happened at Pentecost, wind and fire, because they're associated with these, what the Bible talks about theophanies, moments when God manifested himself throughout the Old Testament that were then fulfilled in Jesus. And so there was a wind in Israel's beginning. There was a wind that moved over the Red Sea and separated the Red Sea so that people could walk into freedom and deliverance. And then when they got into the wilderness, there was a fire that came down. A fire came down on a mountain, a consuming fire. The people were in fear of the Lord. And yet God called Moses to come up and meet with them and he gave them the law. This was what they remembered every year in the Feast of Weeks. And But now what is happening in this upper room in Jerusalem with 120 just ordinary working class men and women and they're sitting in a room just doing what Jesus told them to do. Wait. And when comes, the blowing of a wind comes through the room. Imagine what it was like. And tongues of fire come and rest upon their heads. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first fruits, the first fruits was law written on stone that they celebrated. But now God was getting what God always wanted. 
which was his very ways, imprinted on the human heart. The wind of his own very presence, his very breath, living in them, living through them. And the fire of his burning, all-consuming love, resting on their heads, igniting them from the inside out. This is what God has always wanted. Through the cross of Jesus and through his life, a new way had been opened up. Jesus was the most fulfilled person that ever lived, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was zero resistant to the Holy Spirit. He walked in the fullness of the Spirit. And Jesus showed us he wasn't just a spiritual person. He was that. He was, in the fullest sense of the world, a human being. Jesus just didn't show us how to be a Christian. Jesus showed us how to be a human in its original intention. And so a new way for humanity was opened up. Life in the power and in the fullness of the Spirit of God, through the very breath of God, living and moving and having its being in us. A new way had been opened up. Now, God was on the inside of us, in us, on us, with us, all around us, walking in us. This is why Jesus said it was better that he would go. Now, how could that be? Like, imagine you were Peter or James and John, and this man, this man who believed in you, when nobody else had walked into your life and completely turned your life upside down and give you a reason to live and a purpose to live and you felt like you belonged to his kind of citizenship and what he was all about. And then Jesus says, guys, it's going to be better that I I go. Can you imagine what they felt inside? How could it be better that you could go, Jesus? You've changed our lives. How could it be better? But Jesus knew that the Spirit was going to come so it would be like he'd never left. Because he was going to live inside them. And as we often say around here, the only thing that could be better than God in the flesh is God in all flesh. Wow. This is the power of this moment. So now, even though none of us are Jesus, so I'm being reverent when I say this. None of us are Jesus. He's the one that we emulate. He's the one that we obsess in in order to be like But the reality is why Jesus said it was better that he would go is now there's not just one human being on the earth living in the power of the Spirit. Now there can be hundreds and millions of people walking around as temples of the Holy Spirit, walking in the fullness of the Spirit so that God can have the dream that God has always wanted, which is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And the more of us that carry the Holy Spirit and move into all the corners of the earth, the more the dream of God is going to be fulfilled that his glory will fill it all with his presence. Pentecost literally changed the world forever. God's vision for the whole earth had taken on a new dimension. And it came with power. Or power, as we say here. It came with real, real power. The word in, um, in the Greek, when it, Jesus said to the disciples, stay in Jerusalem and you will be endued with power from on high. The, the power there is the word in Greek, dunamis, which I guess is where over the years words like dynamite and all have come from. There was power in it. And there was power not just to send us out, but there was power to bind us together. 
Um, sorry for these big words, but I just really like what it's trying to say. The power of the Spirit had both a centrifugal effect. If something's centrifugal, it moves away from the center. It spins away from the center. You'll have heard that word in kind of engineering and mechanics and things like that. It spins away. The Spirit came upon the disciples and they could not stay in the room. It spun them right out onto the edges of society. It spun them out onto the streets. They tumbled out into Jerusalem and they started to declare the glory of God. There was power to proclaim Christ. But there was also a centripetal effect, which is the opposite. If centrifugal spins you away from the center, centripetal spins you into it. And all of a sudden, people that didn't even like one another, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, masters and slaves, were now sitting around a table as one new humanity. A new human society had been created by the power of this living Jesus through his spirit and his people. And so the church is born because the spirit comes in power. We're both thrust out and bound together in one family all at one go. Simultaneously, both those things are happening. And if they're not, then we've diminished the power of the spirit. It's hard to put words to it because the spirit has a, move, a movement effect. We are not the head of the church. We are not the source of the church. Jesus is the head of the church and the source of the movement is the spirit. Because the church is first and foremost not a building or an organization or an institution. It is a movement of people. And so we have to keep on showing up every Sunday and times we come together. And in two weeks time when we gather in that field, it's come Holy Spirit, move through us. Move us. Move us beyond the places of our comfort. Move us into new places where we've never been before to declare the glory of Jesus. And while you're doing that, also bind us together. Make us one. Make us love one another like we never thought we could love. Make us love like the Trinity loves itself. That's the family that God is creating on the earth. This is the power of the Spirit. It takes you places geographically that you've never been with your feet but it takes you places in your heart to break down barriers that you never even knew were there until you invited the Spirit into your life. This is the power of the Spirit. So what does that mean for us today? Why is the same power not always at work? Was this a unique moment in history? Are we supposed to settle for that and just sentimentalize about it and get nostalgic about Pentecost? Are we filled with the same Spirit? The thing about it is, as we look at the book of Acts, when we try to think about when are we filled with the Spirit, it doesn't actually give us a nice, neat, tidy answer. For a start, when were the disciples saved? We know when they were filled with the Spirit. When we read through Acts, it appears some people were saved, then baptized by water, then filled with the Holy Spirit. But we also read in Acts chapter 10 of people filled with the Spirit before they were baptized. And then we read of people in Acts 19 that knew Jesus, but never heard of the Holy Spirit. So Acts doesn't really seem to give us this kind of nice, neat and tidy, formulaic answer. What it does seem to give us, though, and what it does point towards, and what the rest of the New Testament points towards, is a life living in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that we would receive him in our lives. So let me say a few things that can help us, hopefully. <laughs> First of all, we know for sure that we can't know Jesus, we can't know Jesus without an experience of the Holy Spirit, without an encounter of the Holy Spirit. 
Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 8. You, whoever, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. We cannot belong to Christ unless we have the Spirit of Christ. If you have Jesus, if you have Jesus in your life, you have the Holy Spirit. I just want to, I want to say that's important because the Bible goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't receive Jesus without a working of the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but one who is coming to, one who is coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be completely rebirthed, reborn. That, that is what it really means when we say born again. It's not a transaction. It's not just a little prayer that we pray to get out of hell. It's to be reborn from the inside out. It's to have a whole new operating system put into being inside you from the very core of who you are. You're operating from a different source. It's to be completely rewired. And Jesus came prophesying in line with his cousin when he said a whole new type of living is coming available. That a life is going to bubble up from inside you. You're not just going to have to keep these laws written in stone, but a life, my own life, is going to bubble up inside you right from your innermost being. This is the kind of life Jesus wanted us to live. In John chapter 7, it says this, and this is Jesus, um, and, uh, before he was crucified, he, he came on the last day of the feast. Interesting, isn't it? There's another feast. This is not Passover, and this is not Pentecost. This is the other one. This is the feast of the tabernacles when people would have came to Jerusalem to celebrate and to remember the time when the people had to wander in the wilderness. It's a bit like Noah. Right? Because they came and they built tents to remind themselves of the time. For those of us who are hardcore and going for tents, of course, right? Because this reminded them of the time when they wandered in the wilderness. And so they built these booths and they came to celebrate and to remember God's provision through their wilderness wanderings. And throughout that feast, priests would have carried these pitchers, these good golden pitchers, and they would have led. Um, processions and the great crowd of people would have came to the temple and the priest would pour water each day for seven days from the pool of shalom down upon the altar in the tabernacle and the people would shout and wave paint palm branches this was part of their celebrations and they did this for seven days until the last day see on the last day of the feast the timing again jesus is thinking this all through right first two diff two distinctions on the final day on the seventh day, on the last day of these, this, this celebration, they would have walked around the altar seven times to remember the Joshua's defeat of Jericho. But second, the second thing that was different, when the, they would have poured out the water, on the final day when they've poured out the water out of these pitchers, there was no water in the pitchers. And it was a sober remember, remembrance of the children of Israel's disobedience in the wilderness. And so on the seventh day, they would have stood in silence remembering and reminding themselves that that generation was disobedient to the Lord, didn't trust, in, didn't trust in him, and they would have stood in this silence, in this bewilderment, in this meaningless kind of nothing, this moment to remind themselves of the need to be obedient to the Lord. And it was on the last day, in the midst of this silence, in the midst of this emptiness, that Jesus stood up, and in a loud voice, some of them said, he cried out, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart, 
Not out of a stone, but out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Can you see what Jesus is saying? Into this kind of meaningless, kind of -of run-of-the-mill, kind of going-through-the-motions type of life, Jesus is looking out with them and with mercy and compassion saying there's something else. There's something else coming. There's something else you can taste. There's a river. Living waters can flow out of your innermost being. This was Jesus prophesying of what would happen at Pentecost that we could all taste and see the very presence and life of God flowing up inside us, filling us with his love and with his power. And so when people get saved, genuinely saved and reborn by the Spirit, this is what we are supposed to experience. We are supposed to experience. Now that's not to say it's all about feelings. It's not. It's about faith first and foremost. But we are supposed to experience the rivers of living water flowing from our innermost being, filling us with the life and power of God. Do we call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I believe we can if that's what happens, if that's what we come to know. I believe that God can save and baptize and fill people with the Spirit at a moment. But the reality is often we don't know the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. Often we don't know that we can have this experience of the life of God bubbling up inside us, filling them with his own own presence. And so what has happened in church history is people have split over this subject Because what has happened is lots of people who have said Jesus is Lord and asked them to forgive them from their sins, they've looked back at the the Bible, they've looked back at Acts, and they've gone, why are we not experiencing this? Why are we not experiencing this power? And so they've got hungry for the Lord. And what happens when you get hungry for the Lord? He meets it, and he comes, and they encounter him in a new way, in a fresh way. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And so then what happens is, People then become aware of like a second experience of the Holy Spirit or maybe a third one or maybe a fourth one. He comes and he, he meets them and they're changed and transformed. And so back in the, over the la- particularly over the last three, four hundred years through the revival history that we can read about, which I haven't had time to go into this morning, we see people desiring and hungering after more of the Lord a closer walk with the Lord, a deeper reality of his power in their lives. And we've seen in the Pentecostal movement over the last number 100 years, a phenomenal 600 million people in the world would recognize themselves as Pentecostals. That that is a genuine movement of the Spirit. There's no other movement in in the world that's 600 million people in 100 years. It's phenomenal. They reckon there'll be 1 billion. That's like a big percentage of people on the earth who have understood and come into the life of the Spirit. But the problem has been often that what has happened is that people have built a doctrine around their experience. And so they've said that the way I have experienced it is the way you should experience. But the book of Acts shows us that Jesus will not be held to any formula of any man. And so what happens is where the Spirit is, there's also the flesh. And so there has been excesses, and there has been misuses, and there has been abuses. There's been all of those things. But the reaction to that is to go to the opposite way and say, here's a nice convenient doctrine. Let's just say that this isn't for the day, and that was only for that time, and we'll not have any of that anymore in our churches because this is what people do when they get carried away. And that's equally as 
That's equally as bad. And so what we have is now we've got churches that will focus on the fruit of the Spirit. It's all about becoming like Jesus, which is unbelievable and right and amazing, but there's no power. There's no demonstration. There's no manifestation. There's no Spirit. And then we've got churches that will go on the other and say, it's all about the gifts of the Spirit. It's all about prophecy. It's all about this. It's all about land on the floor. It's all about that. But there's no real substance to the character. And all the time, the Holy Spirit, who is a person, is grieved. He's grieved because then we get lopsided. And all the time, the Holy Spirit and Jesus is saying, listen, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will glorify me and he will fill you with power. And through him, you will do signs and wonders. And through him, you will walk in communion with me. And through him, he will change you from your selfish, brutish kind of self into somebody that looks like Jesus, demonstrating love and joy and peace and compassion. This is what happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And so that's why Paul says to the church in Ephesians chapter 8, I'm just jumping through my notes here a little bit, he, he, he says in Ephesians chapter 8, be ye, do not be drunk with wine, for that is the debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, he talks about walking in the Spirit, life in the Spirit. He's saying it the same thing in a different way here. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the rendering of this is the perfect tense, I think, which basically means, more accurately, be ye constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And we often just attribute this to individuals, but he actually in the context of this passage, which I haven't time to do this morning, it's all about the church and the body and how they love one another. And so what he's actually saying here, the family of God, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is he talking about being drunk with wine? Well, partly because he doesn't want them to be drunk with wine, because that's not good. And it's not edifying and it doesn't look like Christ. But partly because he's using that metaphor because in the same way that people can be intoxicated by something, some other substance, the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us to be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with him. Now that's not to say that we go crazy, but that it's very evident when somebody's drunk is it very evident in the life of our community that we are filled with the Spirit? Is he dancing all over us? Is his movements in our lives free and uninhibited? Or do we fear him? Or do we want to control him? Or do we want to like do a nice Christian version of living and box the Holy Spirit? Or do we want to say, Holy Spirit, we trust you. That you're not weird that you're not going to make us do things or do things to us that are going to be uncomfortable in, in, in that sense. That you are, you're the spirit of the Father. You're the spirit of Jesus. And so what I would like to say, and we'll lean more into this next week, whoever's speaking here next week, will be creating some space for you to receive again the Holy Spirit. Can you be baptized in the Holy Spirit at salvation? I believe you can be. Do you need to be baptized again in the future in the Holy Spirit? I would say yes. Because 
It's, but it's not just about a second experience. It's about a third one and a fourth one and a fifth one. It's about every day emptying yourself in order to be filled. And it's not just about an experience. Hear me when I say that. But it is about an encounter of the living God. And some of us need to give, us, need to give ourselves permission to have an encounter of the love and the power of God. And I feel like today he wants to release even that as we close upon us. Paul said in Timothy, spirit is not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. What's the Holy Spirit like? He's power and he's love. So if as I speak today, you're feeling an element of fear start to like move across your chest or your mind. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's, that's either us or it's the enemy. But the Holy Spirit is here because he wants us to fellowship with him. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're out of time, but we don't have time probably this morning just to invite people to come to the front. But what I would love to do is I just I'd love I'd love to pray for you before we finish off if that's okay. I want to release you to go and get your kids in a moment. But I just felt this morning that the Holy Spirit wanted just to, to, to move into place before we before we close. So would you mind just stand to your feet if you wouldn't mind? And let's just let's just lock in with the Lord here for a moment or two before we close. think we're just living at a time where the Holy Spirit wants us to receive from him afresh. I have, I've been really blessed. I've had a lot of pain in my life, but I've had an awful lot of blessing. I look at my life at the moment, got a wonderful family, got beautiful kids, got a nice house, got a decent car. I could, I could settle something inside me that all of those things as amazing as they are I just want more of something else I want to taste and drink of something that I'm still thirsty for even though I've been a believer for nearly 40 years I'm thirsty for a drink a pure drink of the spirit of the living God and he is here this morning to touch us and I just want to pray for a few people as we close, I get a sense that there's some people here this morning that you don't feel fully released or empowered at the moment. Maybe even lost your confidence a little bit in the Lord. And he wants to release you with power today to give you permission to dream and to pioneer and to go again. And I think there's a few other people here this morning that you just feel the fear. You just, just felt like you've controlled this for a bit too long. And um, you've never been able to fully open your life up and I'd love to pray for you. And then there's maybe just some other people who just go, whatever it else that's going on this morning, I'll, I, just, I just want some of it. I'm going to do this relatively quick, so I'm, I'm not going to like, sort of just like, 
drag this out in any way, but actually I would love to just pray for you. If, if you feel any of those things, would you, would you come to the front and I'm just going to pray for you and then we're going to close off. Just, um, it's just, just, just a few moments. If you really want something of the Lord, it might not be for everyone, just come to the front. I'd love to pray for you. here but just to increase his presence just welcome him just welcome him here beautiful Jesus beautiful Jesus Lord, I just want to pray, God, for brothers and sisters here this morning, sons and daughters of God. I want to pray, Lord, that you would see their hearts. Thank you that you do. And Lord, now that you would give them the desires of their heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall afresh, O God, on each one of them, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, where there is fear, that you would now release it with love, God. Lord, I pray, God, where there is, as they relinquish control, that you would bring peace, God. Let, let a life begin to bubble up from within. Lord, I pray for those who need power this morning to be released into whatever new things you have, that it would come in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I uh, would love to pray for some people this morning at the front here. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song, but I'm going to just close and bless you and release you to go out into the foyer, go and grab your kids um, and bring them back for tea and toast or whatever we do now. Um, and uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there so we can pray. The worship team are going to sing. If you want to remain in this place, um, that would be great. Feel free to do that um, as we just ask the Spirit to fall and God to consume it with his fire. But we're going to minister to people at the front as we do this. All right. The Lord bless you this morning. Thanks for being here. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk